Hello and welcome to The Lowdown's podcast. I'm Alice Pelton, co-founder and CEO of The Lowdown, the world's first review platform for contraception. I set up The Lowdown because I spent my 20s struggling with side effects from the pill. I wanted to create a safe space for people to anonymously share their experiences. And to date, we've collected over 200,000 data points on every method. Our mission is to make it easier for people to choose, access and use their contraception. In each episode of this show, we'll be using the data and insights from our platform and interviews with experts to give you the lowdown on everything about your contraception, from the pill to the coil to the implant. We'll be speaking to the doctors who prescribe it and the women who've tried it, so you can understand the pros and cons and get answers to the questions you've always wanted to ask. Whether you're looking to start or change your contraception, or you're interested in learning more about the 16 methods and over 60 brands available, this is the place for you. But first, a quick disclaimer. Anything we talk about in this podcast is not to be taken as medical advice. You should always discuss your contraception with your doctor. The insights we talk about from the lowdown are based on thousands of anonymous user reviews and are not gathered in a clinical trial setting. In this episode, we'll be talking about the most reviewed method of contraception at the lowdown, the combined pill. The contraceptive pill is taken by over 150 million women worldwide and is the most popular method of contraception in Europe and North America. You may know that there are two types of pill, the combined pill and the progestogen-only pill. We'll be talking about the combined pill today. That's the one that contains both oestrogen and progestogen. I'll start off this episode with a very quick history lesson and then I'll be talking to Professor John Gilbo about why we've been taking the pill all wrong and why we should be taking our pill packets continuously. After that, I'll be talking to our lovely GP, Dr. Fran Yarlett, who will help us understand how the pill works and why it's so popular and whether GPs just want to give you the cheapest brand available. Lowdown team member Holly will be sharing her experiences on being on microgynon for 13 years. And we'll be sharing our data on the most common side effects like mood and benefits like skin. So the combined pill is the original hormonal contraception and is often talked about as one of the most significant medical advances of the 20th century. The pill gave us the ability to control our childbearing, education and careers. It also paved the way for the development of other contraceptives, like the implant, injection and patch, that were invented a few decades later. The pill was developed by two scientists in the 1950s, Dr Gregory Pincus and Dr Rock. By that point, lots of research had been done on the effects of hormonal drugs and the experiments on animals showed that the hormone progestogen could stop us from ovulating. In 1956, Dr Pincus and Dr Rock conducted large-scale clinical trials of the first pill on 200 women in Puerto Rico. Now, these trials are very controversial. The pills they tested contained 10 times the amount of hormone in today's pills, and women weren't told they were taking part in a trial or about any of the risks they'd face. The women began to experience side effects like nausea, headaches and blood clots, but, and no surprises here, Their complaints were dismissed since the women were deemed unreliable. Three women are said to have died while taking part in the trial. 
but their deaths can't be linked to the pill directly, since a proper investigation was never carried out. Whilst we don't want to get into the history of the pill too much, I think it's important that we all know about the ethically questionable and frankly racist foundations on which it was developed. And we all owe our thanks to those poor women in Puerto Rico who unknowingly paved the way for the development of the pill and in doing so gave millions of women the independent and freedom that we can enjoy today. 60 years on and the pill is still mainly being taken in the same way as it was back then with women taking it for three weeks and then having a seven-day break before starting the next pill packet. But what lots of women don't know is that you can actually take the combined pill continuously, that is, take the packets back-to-back without a break. Professor John Gilbo, who is one of the world's leading experts in family planning and contraception, has for many years, based on research evidence, been criticising the whole idea of having to have pill periods through taking a seven-day break each month. We decided to have a chat with John to see why we shouldn't be taking breaks between our pill packets. So um, why should women be taking the pill continuously, John? Well, my view is, uh, I'd say it the other way around, why wouldn't any woman be taking continuously all the time? Uh, the option is there. Uh, we now know that actually when the pill was invented 60 years ago, the scientists who got a lot of the research right, they got one thing wrong. They had discovered how to suppress the ovary and stop it releasing eggs. <clears throat> but they wrongly thought that you had to take this break in pill taking for seven days every month. Uh, and we now know that's completely unnecessary. And the reason why I say the sensible thing to do is to take it continuously, with occasional breaks maybe, we'll talk about that, but to take it basically continuously is, first of all, it works better that way, it's stronger, and that's not surprising, because if you think of it as a contraceptive that you take every day, and then you don't take it for seven days, how could you expect it to still be working as well at the end of that time? You've been suppressing your ovaries, stopping uh, egg release, and now you're releasing the suppression, and that cannot be a good idea. It must make it feel weak, and it does, especially if people are late starting their next packet. Uh, and that happens. We all forget pills. I, I, I'm on pills myself for various reasons, and I, and I must take them that I often forget. So first of all, greater efficacy. Secondly, why have the periods anyway? Uh, we'll talk about that a bit more later. There's no evidence that uh, periods have any health benefits, whatever. Uh, so why, why have them? Uh, thirdly, if you do miss pills, the rules are so simple. Now, when you take pills, all you do is just get back to pill taking. Uh, and even if you missed a couple of pills, you'd never need to worry about having to go and get emergency contraception from the chemist or anything, uh, because it's so strong now when you take a pill continuously that you don't. Uh, you, you, you've got to miss a handful of pills before it even gets weaker enough to worry about emergency contraception. Third reason for taking it is the added benefits over and above not having periods. You don't get pain. People get pain from, from their uh, beads with a pill. Uh, you don't get so many headaches. There's evidence for that because uh, many headaches from pill takers happen in that pill-free time. And there's good evidence you're also less likely to get PMS, premenstrual syndrome. And finally, a sort of medical benefit, which isn't quite so obvious, it's possible to use a, an even lower dose of the pill. You can actually 
use less of the drug to get the desired effect, which is generally a benefit uh, of in medicine to use as little medicine as possible. And that's even true. So when you have those four advantages, greater efficacy, simpler rules, uh, added benefits, and lower dose, why wouldn't anybody take a pill that way continuously? But, you know, isn't it better to have a period or a, or a bleed? Isn't it like some women kind of feel like it's natural to have a bleed? And where, where does the blood go if you're not bleeding? Well, that's a very common question. People worry that uh, the blood's going to c- collect inside them and go up to their brain or something like that. It's a reasonable sort of mental image to have. But actually, if there's no blood coming away, it's because there's no blood being formed to come away. Uh, the reason it's formed is when you stop the pill package, your, your lining of your womb comes away and then you bleed. Uh, but if, it's, if you continue with the pill continuously, then uh, that doesn't happen at all. So there's no blood formed. But can I say this to those women who feel the need to see the occasional bleed? There is a way of taking the pill, which is what's called tricycling. And you could have an occasional bleed just to feel that all's well. So you take three packets in a row, followed by just a four-day break. And then three more packets in a row and a four-day break. We call that tricycling. And that's been around for about 30, 40 years as a choice and is a very good way of taking the pill. The other way is to take it totally continuously and wait for the settling of the dribbling bleeding that you often get in the early stages. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, you can take yourself a four-day break and that often stops the bleeding. So those are the main points about bleeding. But the main thing about how natural it is, is to think how we evolved, because we humans evolved on the plains of Africa, where we were were hunter-gatherers. And the ordinary woman in those days would have been having sex from from her puberty onwards, and she'd get pregnant and be breastfeeding for two or three years at a time, uh, and probably have about 10 babies. And so when she dropped dead at 40, because everybody did drop dead at 40, she'd only have had about 30 or 40 periods in her life. We have up to 250, which is more normal. You know, considering we evolved that way, you can say that seeing periods is actually an abnormality of modern living. It's not really how we were meant to be. And if you can imitate uh, that previous situation, it can't be a bad idea. Makes sense. I guess I'd never really thought about it that way. Um, so, So why don't more women know about taking the pill continuously? Well, I don't understand it. Uh, that, that idea of tricycling, which I mentioned, taking the pill three packets in a row and taking a break, was first published in a proper journal back in 1977, believe it or not. We have known that this is a good way to take the pill ever since then. Uh, and it, it, it anyway, as I say, the science is so basic and understandable by a 10-year-old that any, any contraceptive won't work as well uh, uh, when you take a long break from it altogether as it will if you had shorter breaks or no breaks. I mean, it's hardly rocket science, I say. So the reason why is because the, phar- the pharmaceutical companies for 60 years have been selling their pills fine all over the world. People use it, and it does work pretty well, even this, this less than ideal way, and it is less than ideal. But if you take your, take your pill 21-7, it works pretty well so long as you don't ever forget pills, and that's quite difficult really to do all the time. Uh, but therefore they're selling their pills and they can't be bothered to simply apply to their regulatory authorities and get the new package inserts which would say it's okay to take your pill continuously, either the way I said with three packets in a row and a four-day break or uh, absolutely continuously. They haven't been bothered. So we need you folks, everyone who, who listens to this podcast, to apply pressure to everybody you meet. 
your colleagues, your friends, your doctor that you come in contact with, your nurse who may not know properly about this, and especially your pharmacists because they are particularly uninformed about the continuous pill taking. Let's get the message around through the grassroots, have a bandwagon rolling and apply pressure to the companies so that they see that actually they'll sell more pills if they have it uh, with the correct modern packaging than uh, modern uh, leaflets. Uh, they don't even have to repackage them, you see, actually, Alice. They can use the same packets. There's no extra expense to retool in the factory. You just have the leaflet saying, this is a good way to take the pill. I say it's the best way. It's the way everybody should be taking it. And the, uh, uh, the only woman who ever needs to take it 21-7 is the woman who's desperate to see a pesky bleed every month. And I just thought they were quite rare uh, once you really explain how unnecessary they are. Wow, it's so interesting. Thanks so much, John. And John, you've uh, worked with the FPA. Uh, they've done a leaflet to um, explain a bit more about uh, continuous pill taking. Uh, so if if anyone's interested in learning more, you can have a look at that. It's in the link in our bio on our Instagram at Get the L Down. Brilliant. Thanks so much, John. Um, really great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Not at all. Take care. So let's bring in uh, Dr. Fran. Um, Dr. Fran's a GP who works in Sheffield. Uh, she's just finished her diploma in sexual health and is um, really passionate about all things contraception. Hi, Fran. Hi, Alice. Thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Uh, and we've also got the lovely Holly, who works in the Lowdown team, joining us. Uh, so Holly's 29 and, and she was on microgynon for, I think, about 13 years. Yeah. Hi Holly, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Great. So, um, so let's start with how does the pill actually work to stop you from getting pregnant? Um, so it's it's all about hormones, um, which are the messages in the body. So hormones um, move around and they they attach to things called receptors somewhere in the body, sending messages and telling them to do certain things. Now, when we take the pill. The extra hormones in the pill, which are estrogen and progestogen, um, make our brain stop sending certain messages to the ovary, which means that the ovaries then don't mature any eggs and the, the body doesn't pop an egg out every month. So if there's no egg there, it means that there is nothing for the sperm to fertilise into a baby and therefore no pregnancy. There are also some extra things that the pill can do, including making the mucus, which is inside the cervix, the neck of the womb, much thicker, so sperm can't swim through it and get to the womb, and also altering the womb lining so it becomes thinner and, we say, more hostile. So if you do get pregnant, um, the pregnancy wouldn't be able to implant itself in the womb and stay there to grow. So it's quite complicated, but as long as the pill is taken as advised, um, your body won't release an egg and therefore you can't get pregnant. It's a bit like magic. <laughs> I, I guess the, the mucus bit is something that not a lot of us know a lot about. That's, that's really interesting. What sorts of women can and can't try the combined pill? Uh, I ask because I've noticed from our reviews that it tends to be something that younger women are given uh, and in fact, 68% of under 18 year olds who reviewed a method at the lowdown have reviewed the combined pill. Yeah, I, I agree, actually, that younger women I tend to see more asking about the combined pill and being prescribed it. 
I think it's probably down to quite a few reasons. Um, firstly, younger women tend to have fewer health problems. So I, I don't know if the general public are aware, but there's a, a huge list of medical issues that we have to consider before we can prescribe the combined pill to somebody. And we have to look at each woman individually, look at their medical problems, and then balance whether the risk of those medical problems compared with the risk of the pill is worth it for that woman's contraception. Um, for example, the risks include things like blood clots, high blood pressure, heart disease. Um, so as I say, younger women less likely to have medical problems and are therefore more likely to prescribe the combined pill. Secondly, um, I found that if, if a young woman rings up, say a 16-year-old, and is thinking about some contraception, the first thing that comes into the head is the pill. And I don't know whether that's because it's a generational thing and their mothers have spoken to them about the pill. I don't know if either of you, did either of you have that conversation with your parents before you went on the pill? <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> my mum was like, I think she was quite scared about the idea of me going on the pill. Yeah, so it was, I tried to hide it for her for a while, but then she saw the microgynon packet in my makeup bag. Yeah, I've got quite a similar story. For some reason, she was going through my drawers. <laughs> my mum that um, actually told me to go on the pill. So um, I tried to, <laughs> I tried to hide a sneaky like panic phone call to the doctor's surgery for a morning after pill. And then my mum was like, "Why on earth are you up at eight o'clock in the morning?" And then I was like oh my god mum and I literally just like confessed and then she was like right I'm coming with you I think we need to get you on the pill or something don't we so it was actually my mum that took the took the reins and yeah nice. <laughs> yeah. So I, I find that I don't know whether it's because our mums had less access to different things like the implants the injection they weren't so widely available so so their first thoughts are, oh, my daughter might be having sex. She needs to go on something and think straight to the pill. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, sex education at school may not be as um, well taught as I would like it to be. So quite a lot of the young girls who come to me haven't heard about many of the other options. So, so they mm -hmm. won't go on the pill. Um, so that might be why you get more young women. The other thing is, it, the, the average 16-year-old won't have had medical procedures, especially things like childbirth. And so they're quite nervous about procedures like an implant or procedures like the coil. So would much rather, it's more acceptable to just take a pill every day rather than have something, you know, quite um, intimate, like having a coil fitted. Mm. So I, I think that puts young women off, really. So they, they prefer to go on the pill. I guess there are like a few some higher risks around blood clots and things like that with the combined pill mm. why would you choose the combined pill over the progestogen only pill the main benefit and this again I think is why more younger people get prescribed it is over the progesterone only pill is that it's better for what we call cycle control so you might have had friends I certainly did when I was younger who were 15 started their periods and they were horrendously heavy and all over the place and a good way to control that is using the combined pill because it makes your periods lighter and it can be very predictable when you're going to bleed 
Um, and with the new modern ways of taking it, you can't even stop the bleeding completely. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's one of the main benefits over the progesterone only pill. And that's why more younger women get prescribed it. Mm-hmm. It can also help skin as well. So young girls get quite precious and, and worried about acne. Um, and some pills can help that in some women. We'll be talking a bit about the benefits later. Holly, why did you choose to go on the pill? Um, so I decided to go on the pill just because I was at that stage in my life that I should really be thinking about some contraception. So it was actually my mum that kind of dragged me to the doctor's surgery. And yeah, I was prescribed combined pill, uh, microgynon, and that was pretty much it for 13 years. Um, I never really sort of really questioned it until, you know, maybe 12 years in. Yeah, so. I think that's quite common for women to be started on um, the combined pill at a young age. And then because it's quite easy, you pop in once a year for your blood pressure. Um, we're meant to talk to every woman about alternative choices every time we see you. But it's just easy to stay on the same one, isn't it? And it's not until you think about it yourself or circumstances change like you have a a new medical problem or start a new medication that you might have to start thinking about something different yeah I think um I it's strange you say that you know you you should have those conversations because I actually remember going to the doctors maybe a a few years ago and just saying should I be thinking of something else and they were like you know if it's not broke don't fix it kind of thing so Mm -hmm. I did I remember sort of inquiring about other other options but it was very much like it's don't worry about it that's yeah. that's really interesting I suppose it's it depends who you speak to if it's somebody yeah. who's really interested and knows a lot about contraception I can talk to my patients for well over 10 minutes going up to half an hour about their options um but sometimes if you know for example a middle-aged man might be a little bit scared about speaking about contraception and could just think Oh, well, the pill's fine at the moment. Carry on. Fran, what's the difference between all of these generations and brands of combined pill? Oh, there there are so many brands. I find it so confusing sometimes. Um, and it, it's quite embarrassing if, it, if it's one I've never heard of and I have to look it up, but there are that many. Um, the, the generations broadly are based on the the time that they were invented or discovered. So the first generation were the oldest type of pill, and we don't use those at all anymore. Um, The second and third generation have a different type of progestogen hormone in. I don't know whether you ever know, if you look at your own pill, for example, which progestogen's in microgynon. Um, That's an example of, I think it's a second generation. And they're the most common second and third generation. And then the fourth generation, um, quite a popular one, Yasmin or Lucette are included in that. And then some of the ones with a newer type of oestrogen in as well, like Clara. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, is it mainly the difference between the the progestogen then, not the oestrogen? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, The second and third generation all have one type of oestrogen and it's only the very new ones that we rarely use, like Clara, that have a new type of um, oestrogen in. And the brands, um, they there's different brands for different progestogens, 
But then there are also, for example, two or three brands which have the same estrogen and progesterone in, which makes it quite confusing for both patients and doctors to try and make sure you're on the right one for you. Mm. The common one, I don't know if you ever had this, Holly, if you're on microgynon and then you might turn up to the pharmacy one day and pick up a pack of um, rigavedon instead of microgynon. No, I've never had that. I've just always had the, always very consistent with my prescriptions. (laughs) Well, that's lucky. It happened to me. Um, I was on microgynon for years while I was um, training at university in Cardiff. Then when I came back up to Sheffield and went to sort out my prescription, I was just told, oh, well, we have Rigavedon here. It's the same as Microgynon. And for me, luckily, it was absolutely fine. But I don't know whether you've heard stories from friends or I get a lot from patients that even though the brand Microgynon and Rigavedon have exactly the same hormones in at the same concentrations or levels, it still makes them feel completely different. Mm. yeah we get that a lot from on the from the lowdown really a lot of women saying that like what do you think causes um that difference in side effects and um, to be honest I really don't know if you look at it scientifically on paper you have exactly the same type and amount of estrogen and exactly the same type and amount of progesterone but for some reason it just doesn't sit well with women and it I think possibly it's something to do with the the other ingredients in the pill um, that make it up or how it's made or how your body metabolizes or reacts to it. Mm. Um, Sometimes people say, well, there shouldn't be a difference. But in my experience, there just is. Um, The advice I, I give is either, well, let's try and find the other pill for you, whether it's in a different pharmacy or try and persist on it for three months three months is always the magic number with contraception persist on it for three months and see if it gets any better before we try a different one um so it's it's basically like a dozen types of progesterone um and a two two types of estrogen and and i've heard i've heard us people ask us a lot about the types of progesterone and mm-hmm. and some are more androgenic than others um what does androgenic mean Oh, um, well, how scientific do you want me to go, Alice? Um, Bring it on. <laughs> so uh, androgenic. Um, so androgenic comes from the words androgens, which it's a group of hormones, those messengers that I was talking about, which control male characteristics. So I don't want to panic women that they think if they're taking the combined pill, they're going to suddenly develop into a male. Um, because women, women have androgen hormones already. For example, our, our ovaries make testosterone, and testosterone is the most common androgen you'll have heard of. If you take certain progestogens, they have very, very little effect on androgens. But for some reason, different types of progestogens, instead of just doing what they should do and moving around the body and attaching to the receptors we want to they can also then go and act on androgen receptors and that leads to things like increasing the secretion from your glands in your face which can lead to acne um, or sometimes changing your mood things like that but I wish it was as simple to say that some progesterogens are have more of that effect or are more androgenic than others 
we have a basic knowledge of what they are. Say, for example, um, there is a really popular pill called Yasmin or Lucette that contains the progestogen um, drospirinone, which I can also never say. Um, it's one of my favourites. It's my yeah. top, my top ten progestogens. Yeah. <laughs> it's because women women know that it can help with acne because it's one of these anti-androgenic um, progestogens. However, if a woman was prescribed um, a more androgenic progestogen like um, levonorgestrel, which is in microgynon and rigovedon, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're suddenly going to be covered in hair and spots. And that's because women react to it so individually. And I think part of that is because different women have different numbers of those receptors for androgens. Does that make sense in any way? Yeah, so there's those kind of progestogens that are likely to be involved with um, and, and stimulate the, the hormones, that are the kind of male hormones like testosterone and things. Mm-hmm. But the amount that your body reacts to those types of progestogen depends on your body. Um, yeah, yeah so, exactly. Yeah. It's very individual. So it's, it's individually based on the woman and therefore you just don't know until you try. Mm-hmm. I, I say this all the time to my patients, and I think I've said it to you before, Alice, that contraception and women's health sometimes is just a little bit like voodoo medicine um, because we just don't know until you try. Women are so different and react to things in, in very individual ways. I guess is it true that you know so Holly and I and 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 you Fran have all been on Microgynon, which is the it's the cheapest um, one mm-hmm. of the cheapest brands of pill uh, available in the UK. Is it true that doctors only prescribe us or kind of are more likely to prescribe us the cheapest brands? I'd, I'd love to say no, but we are guided by prescribing rules in general practice. So I have in Sheffield a a prescribing formulary, which we have to stick to as much as possible. And there is a a, a number one pill for each type of progestogen that we should prescribe, which does tend to be the cheapest. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, for uh, levonorgestrel, I should prescribe rigovedon first, followed by microgynon or ovronet if that doesn't suit the woman. It doesn't mean that I can't change the pill to something like Milanet. Um, it just means that then if I want to change to Milanet, which is Gestadine, I have to prescribe that first, followed by Femidine if that doesn't work. So I think the reason people prescribe the common ones like Rigovedon or Microgynon first is because that's the ones we've, we've heard of the most. Mm. Um, so if you've, got, if you've got a quick 10 minutes where you're trying to talk about everything to do with the combined pill, how to start its side effects, what to do with missed pills, etc. Rather than trying to assess a woman um, and, and work out what you think might be best for it, it's, it's often easier just to say, well, let's try the, the simplest one first, which is the one we've always prescribed first, microgynon, see how you go for three months. If it doesn't work, then we can change you. Yeah, because if you look at the prices, um, I was quite interested in looking how much a three-month supply of microgynon costs the NHS, and it's about two pound eighty-two. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, you know, the, those uh, second generation pills are, are the cheapest. Um, and then you move into more the third generation. So Marvelon and Gledaril, they're about four pounds four 19. So mm-hmm. almost double. And then as you move into Celeste, which is seven pounds 16. And then oh, Yasmin and Lucy. has gone. <laughs> of course, yeah. Celeste yeah. has been discontinued. Oh, goodbye, Celeste. Um, it's sorry. And then we get no warning. <laughs> <laughs> where did it go um and then as we move into Lucette and Yasmin they are 14 pounds 70 mm-hmm. for three months so you know almost four times as much over four times as much as microgynon so there's a huge cost difference there there is but you know as as a doctor my number one priority is for that patient and if you have a woman who wants some contraception and nothing else suits her other than Yasmin or Lucette, the, the options are you spend £14.70 every three months or you risk an unwanted pregnancy. And we all know that children are a lot more expensive than £14.70 every three months. Mm-hmm. So my opinion is, you know, we should be prescribing them. And we do. Yeah. It's just um, some women are made to go through, go through the sort of jump through the hoops to get to them. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting because you I looked at our data at the lowdown to see if there was a correlation between the, the pill price or and, and sort of satisfaction and actually pills like Lucette and Yasmin uh, the, the more expensive ones have quite just a slightly better average sat- satisfaction rating than the mm-hmm. cheaper pills like microgynon so it, it's not necessarily that more expensive means does mean um, reduced side effects although um, I have obviously heard lots of women talk about the benefits of Yasmin, as you as you mentioned. Just talking about side effects, did you get any side effects from the pill, Holly? I'm not 100% sure. There's one of the reasons why sort of only very recently have I changed contraception. It was more, I suppose, negative side effects. I think it perhaps did sort of increase anxiety and and, th- and certain things around that um, but I only sort of look at that now in hindsight and as I say it was one of the main reasons for sort of having a look at other contraceptions sort of very recently positive um I'd say I had all of the positives though like extremely light periods you know two or three days really manageable like clockwork um not really suffered any like no bad skin um I didn't really get any of the weight gain so it was a perfect contraception in that sense you know it was very easy and I know you mentioned before Fran about you know it is no, it's quite an easy contraception and it definitely was for me and it I suppose it wasn't from any from many of the side effects which is why I decided to change it's just looking back in hindsight I think I perhaps would have affected um sort of anxiety and things like that if that answers your question it's interesting because <laughs> yeah, the impact on mood and, and mental health is something that comes up quite a lot in our data. So currently 62% of women who've reviewed the combined pills say it's it's negatively impacted their moods and emotions, which is it's probably the highest for any method of contraception. However, about 23% of women are neutral um, and 7% say it's improved their mood. Some good examples. So women um, like this uh, Lostrin 20 user who told us being on the pill was one of the most negative experiences I have ever had. I was such a happy, outgoing, positive person. When on the pill, I turned into a different person. I'd scream and shout, totally irrational in any decision making and cry all the time. Sounds like me when I'm just about to come on my period. (laughs) Or this woman who used um, rig. 
rigid vid, vid on, which I can never say. She said, absolutely horrible, would not recommend, completely changed me as a person. I used to be happy, bubbly, and now I'm always down, angry and irritable. So obviously it doesn't you know, work for everyone. And, and I guess what's interesting to me is that the medical and scientific community hasn't really proven or agreed that there is a, a link between hormonal contraception and mental health. Um, but I know that there's been lots of debate around the issue. I just don't really know why there isn't more research into this area. And, you know, there's over 400 million women in the world who are using hormonal contraceptives. So I think there should be a bit more research done into this. Do you have any thoughts on that, Fran? Yeah, I, I completely agree. There, there has been no no evidence which shows it one way or the other. But anecdotally, even among my friendship group, I know women who go on the pill and say, it has completely changed me. Um, and we, we don't really know why. As I say, it's back to the voodoo, periods controlled by the moon, all of that. Um, but it, it is something that we should be looking into because if we're expecting women to, to use contraception for the best years of our life, it, it needs to be something which doesn't impact our mood negatively. Um, of course, it's always important to look at other things which might be affecting your mood, make sure... There's nothing else going on with work, stress, relationships, and try and get through that three-month barrier that I talked about before. If you can ride the wave for three months, things can really settle down and then become a really good contraception that Holly was talking about with all those brilliant benefits. And they are, there are some great benefits. I, I know that one of the best things about the combined pill is that it helps improve our skin because of the estrogen uh, in there. And in fact, 44% of women who've reviewed the combined pill say it's given them better skin. Did you find it in, helped with your skin at all, Holly? Yeah, I think, like I say, I never really had any bad skin. But I think um, thinking about like the being prescribed it at such a young age, I'm not actually sure I really knew perhaps what my normal was. Because being on it from, you know, 15 years old all the way through your teenage years when maybe you you know, I might have just been one of the lucky ones that never, never, you know, suffered with acne or bad skin, or was it because of the pill? And I think because I went on it from such a young age, it's very blurred lines between what's my normal as a teenager and what was because of the pill. Um, And I imagine a lot of, a lot of women will perhaps have the same thing if everyone was sort of, you know, went on it at 15, 16. Yeah, it's a funny one. Why is oestrogen good for the skin, Fran? Um, so, I mean, it, it makes the skin thicker, it increases your collagen, um, and it also decreases the, the sebum released from your glands. And that's all from research about what happens when women go through the menopause. So when your skin drops, you get quite a, a dramatic change in your skin. So we know estrogen is good. Um, it also causes the ovaries to, to make this wonderful substance that's called hormone binding globulin and that little beauty it it goes around the bloodstream and it mops up and binds to all the testosterone that takes then taken out of your blood so then the testosterone can't affect your glands either Um, but it is important to know that your skin can get worse and greasier on the combined pill before those effects happen and it starts to get better so it's it's the three-month magic number again I'm afraid (laughs) Yeah, I, I think we've had some, you know, reviews from women, you know, uh, I really like this contraception, initially went on it for acne issues and it really cleared up my skin. Another one for Yasmin, it was really good at completely clearing my skin. 
before going on the pill, I had some hormonal acne, oiliness and blotchiness and all of that cleared up. My sin, my skin is super clear and glowing. I dream of having skin like that. And th- th- this uh, reviewer for Yasmin also mentions that um, I like that I can control my period by skipping pill breaks. Periods also a lot lighter when I do have breaks of the pill. And so we've kind of briefly touched on the the benefit to periods or, or bleeds, as we should call them, because they're not real periods on the pill. But yeah, another benefit is it makes these bleeds lighter. Um, Lowdown data shows 53% of women get lighter periods on the combined pill. And it also has quite a quick return to fertility. So 24% of women say their periods went back to their version of normal within a month of, of stopping taking the combined pill. And 12% of women to, said it, it took about two months for their periods to go back to normal. Holly, could you share your experience coming off the pill? So um, I, as I said before, decided to come off the pill. I thought 13 years is quite a long time. Sort of looking back at um, sort of past sort of mental health, doing a bit of research into into what could be impacting it. And the pill was sort of mentioned as one of those things. So I thought um, I'd go to the doctors and ask to go on a non-hormonal method of contraception. Um, So I went to the doctors and asked um, about the copper coil and we went and that was fine. Um, Got the appointment, had the copper coil, listened to previous podcasts regarding the fittings of coils. But, you know, it was not an awful experience. It was, you know, it was what was expected. Um, And yeah, since having the hormonal coil it turns out that I actually my I actually have hypothalamic amenorrhea so I don't actually have periods and that wasn't clear to me when I was on the combined pill because I was having that bleed um every three weeks coming off of it having that bleed like I was saying before like clockwork you know come off on a last pill be on a Sunday I'd have my period on a Wednesday and it was pretty light and then back on the pill on the Monday. So, um, yeah, I did, w- didn't know any of this until obviously not having any hormones in my body to create that bleed. Um, so I'm very, carry myself very fortunate though, that I have found that out sooner rather than later. And, you know, it's, there's something that can be done about, it. you know, it's all just to do with lifestyle, lifestyle factors. So, you know, I'm equipped now with the knowledge to do something about it and, you know, get my periods back. But, it was pretty scary to think that I'd been going for I don't know how many years thinking that everything was absolutely fine and it wasn't and I think that was the biggest thing it's like wow you know I would have no idea if I hadn't have just done a bit of research into perhaps how it's impacting my mood you know I could still be on it now and still be none the wiser mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's um it, it's a positive you know it's a definite positive absolutely so um I'm glad that you've um you found something that's right for you. Fran, is there any evidence that being on the pill for ages is bad for you? It, well, it, it depends on medical conditions. We we like to take women off them as they get older. Sorry to older women, but it, you are at a higher risk as, as you get older of things like blood clots. Um, so we would try and suggest that you think about a more progesterone-only pill. Um, it, it does. It does still have benefits long term for people with conditions like polycystic ovaries, and um, can be quite protective against the symptoms of that. But um, I, I'm going to say something now, which I don't know whether it's going to be very popular. But this is just my feeling about the future. I I think going to the future, the combined pill will be used less and less, 
and we mm. will be, be talking more and more about the progesterone only or non-hormonal contraceptives. I think there's a real role for it in younger women, as we talked about for cycle control, acne. But then it's getting to the point now where we know that the combined pill does have risks for women. And we also now know that the progesterone only is completely safe for women. So why would we keep giving out the one that has risks when we can go to a, you know, the basically risk free for the majority of women version? So I think it's going to become to a point soon where the combined pill might be reserved for younger women. And then as you get older, you should really be switching to something else. Yeah, and more women have gone on the progesterone only pill during COVID and lockdown, mm-hmm. haven't they? Because it's yeah. much safer to prescribe remotely when you don't get your blood pressure checked and all, all, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, so, I completely yeah. agree with you, Alice, because for me, contraception is all about, it's all about female empowerment. We should be able to control it all ourselves and have really easy access to it. There, there should be a time where you can just, you know, buy the progesterone only pill, but we, we just can't do that with a combined pill because we need that, those extra safety checks. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's really just my thoughts and feelings on it. That's it for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Holly and Fran. Thank you. It's been thank great. you for having me, Alice. I've, I've loved learning more about kind of how it works and yeah what are the benefits and, and side effects of the pill it's been really interesting and thanks so much for sharing your story with us Holly. No thank you thank you for having me it's um it's nice to be able to do that and hopefully it sort of resonates with a few women. And that's it for this episode of the Lowdowns podcast thanks so much for listening. In the next episode, we'll be talking about the injection. So if you have any questions about the injection that you want us to answer or feedback for us, don't hesitate to drop me an email at alice at theldown.com or slide into our DMs at gettheldown on Instagram. This show is produced by Holly Mecca-Taylor. Design is by Petra Rabelli. And thanks to Nick Pelton and Helen Chatham for the music.